Ladies and gentlemen, drivers, gig workers, and everyone in between, welcome to This Week in Rideshare Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Hoffa. It is Friday, November 11th, and this week, driverless goes EV, a lift plan flops, and Amazon debuts Sparrow. Legal Rideshare breaks it down. And from Legal Rideshare, I'm joined by co-founder and lead attorney, Brian Greening. Welcome back. Hey, Jared. Great to be here. Yes, happy Friday. Let's uh, let's get right into an interesting week. We're going to start with Monday. Oh, here, yes. So the driver is putting in the hours to eventually become a day trader. Uh, Fast Company interviewed this driver. Now, he said he gave some tips for drivers. Some of the shocking things I thought he said were, Quote, you know, if you're willing to do eight hours or 12 hours, that's really what pays off. He doesn't believe in working less than eight hours a day. Um, he does rep- uh, recommend using a sleep tracking app. Um, he goes on to talk about really the 12-hour day, the focus on bonuses, and even goes into, you know, you better be prepared to sleep in your car. I, I have mixed feelings about this. Brian, I don't know, what, do, what do you think? Yeah, I think mixed feelings is right. First of all, I'm impressed that this individual is as motivated as he is. It sounds like he's got a, a good head on his shoulders. He's a real smart guy um, trying to make a, a decent living. Um, the way that I uh, view this story is actually with some sorrow that it takes that many hours and that much discipline to make a living wage. Um, we know countless drivers who are hard workers, who are doing everything that they can to put food on the table. And to hear that you know somebody's done the math and it takes eight to 12 hours a day in a sleeping app just to make ends meet, that's unacceptable. So I think this is an indictment on the companies. Um, and while one driver may be kind of glorifying uh, the facts and showing, you know, he can do it, so so, so can you, um, it shouldn't have to be that way. Yeah, I feel the same way. It's just, you know, I understand the point of, hey, it's, it's a way to make money and that's great, but it's just sounds grueling. And that it's one of those things that you don't want to glorify working to the bone to make money but you know to to each their own we'll head into tuesday uber eats deliveries are going driverless and ev intelligent living added a quote uber eats is taking automated food deliveries further by eliminating the driver so these uber eats driverless deliveries are set to begin they say fall Um, it sounds like it's going to be pushed back a little bit in california and uh in texas now, they said they have plans to expand to the Bay Area and Arizona. So, uh, once again, we talk a lot about um, driverless cars, and it sounds like they're just kind of pushing through and saying, we don't even need someone on, in the in the front to verify it's okay. We're just going for it. We've seen this play out several other times, and particularly with Uber in Arizona when their driverless car, who happened to also be manned with a, a live person, crashed into a pedestrian. So I haven't seen any changes in technology that make me think that uh, driverless vehicles are much safer than they were a few years ago. Um, Granted, I I appreciate that the companies are trying to get there, um, but to put a vehicle on the roadway without any sort of human oversight, that really scares me. And I think that they're opening up the door to huge liability and, you know, a lot of injuries. So I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I'm foreseeing. I don't know if you saw, but there's kind of this trend going on the Twitter where um, there's a lot of videos recently of the the mini like short short trip 
delivery robots and they're getting run over by trains like they're catching fire i mean it's absolutely pandemonium and those are just the small you know robotics this, this now we're talking about a full-fledged car and like you said i'm not i'm not seeing any advances in the safety features yeah and even if there are advances are we really saying that we're ready to get rid of the human oversight the human component um you know, granted, humans make a lot of mistakes on the road. And eventually, I, whenever it is, I do think that driverless vehicles are the future. Um, but we're not there yet. And I, I certainly trust a human sitting in that vehicle, scanning, um, pushing the brake if necessary, if, if it, they're noticing that the vehicle's not doing what it's supposed to do. Um, I, I'm scared. And, and I, I just think it's too early. Absolutely agree. Totally agree. All right, let's head into Wednesday. It's actually a win for Uber. They get the upper hand in a U.S. appeals court. Reuters explains, quote, two of the three judges in a third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals panel in Philly seem pretty skeptical of claims by a group of Uber drivers that crossing state lines was a central part of their job. Now, the question of whether the exemption applies to Uber and other gig drivers is crucial because it determines whether they can bring large-scale class action lawsuits or must individually arbitrate legal claims. Uh, so this is really uh, an, an interesting fight, and there's a lot of tug-of-war and back and forth. But, Brian, as, as an attorney, I'd love to hear your, your viewpoints on this. Yeah, so the, the underlying case that drivers are employees or that there's more control of the company have over the drivers than a typical independent contractor has a ton of merit. I think that most people agree that the Uber Lyft drivers, gig workers in general, are more like an employee than they are an independent contractor. And at best, they're in some sort of middle ground. So there might need to be some different classification that, that we come up with. Um, but what gives me pause in this case is that the drivers are really focusing on the interstate commerce of their work. I think it is pretty unusual for Uber, Lyft, uh, similar workers to be crossing state lines. We, we see it, of course. We see trips from Chicago into Wisconsin. We see you know, trips from Chicago into Indiana. We're not, we're not too far away from uh, those areas. But to say that it's an integral part of their job, I'm just not sure that that is the right argument uh, to move the needle. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It seemed like it, it made sense where they're coming from here. So, again, we'll see. It's a constant tug of war. Um, all right, we're going to head into Thursday. Lyft's plan to fund electric cars gets sacked. TechCrunch reported, quote, California voters shot down a plan to make electric vehicles more affordable for some residents, which ultimately dealt a blow to Lyft and really the EV industry. So they called it Proposition 30, and it would have taxed residents making more than $2 million a year to subsidize electric cars and public char uh, charging stations, as well as a funded wildlife prevention program. So when it was all tallied up, it only had 41% of the votes for and 59% of voters rejected the proposition. Interesting way to try to pay for something you're promising for the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? I mean, of course. I, yes, of course. <laughs> pay for your own shit. Right, exactly. You know, I, I think that Lyft is trying to pass the, the buck here, and they've made a promise to put a certain amount of electric vehicles on the road. And ultimately, that is going to benefit their company. It's going to make it 
a more viable company, a, a company where people can make more money and have fewer expenses. I think it's good for Lyft. Um, they need to pay to, to fulfill the promises that they made and stop trying to pass it to third parties and, and taxpayers. Yeah, they, they, you know, they do this trick is so often. It's finally, I think, catching up to them and, and you know, passengers and drivers alike are saying, okay, exactly, enough. Like, you want to do this, you're promising you're going to do it, do it. Like, why should we pay well, for it? Yeah, it's like the NFL team who wants a new stadium and then, you know, threatens to leave if the community doesn't pay for it. It's, it's the same playbook. So, right, right. Um, you know, I, I I think that Lyft needs to fulfill its own promises. And, and unfortunately, that might be at a initial investment, but I got to believe that it's going to pay for itself down the road. Same. They'll figure it out. Hopefully it'll, it'll happen. Uh, and then we're going to end the week on Friday here. Now this isn't ride share, but certainly gig worker related. Uh, Amazon debuts Sparrow while reassuring workers they're not being replaced. TechCrunch added, quote, working with our employees, Sparrow will take on repetitive tasks, enabling our employees to focus their time and energy on other things while also advancing safety. Uh, the company is, of course, quick to point out that Sparrow, along with its other robots, is designed to replace repetitive tasks and is not taking away jobs. That's what they say. So they're actually saying it's going to, number one, have the ability to create more jobs in the long run, and number two, the jobs will be better jobs than the standard warehouse fare. So in case you're wondering, Sparrow is uh, basically just a robotic arm, but it's, it's getting quite complex and, and pretty smart and, and can sort through things. But um, I, I don't know. This could be good, but it could be could be bad for workers. Yeah, I don't trust Amazon when they say that they're not trying to replace workers. I think they've been trying to replace workers for a long time, and this is just a step in that process. So, you know, will this particular uh, robot replace the workers that work in the factories? Uh, probably not. No, not, not this one. But as technology gets better and better, the goal is to get rid of the human component, and that's going to unfortunately mean fewer jobs for fewer uh, people and, and less money to go around uh, for the workers. So I, I just think that this is um, this is part of their playbook, and I don't believe them when they talk about their intentions. Right, and this just gives them more leverage to you know fight any type of gig workers who are interested in unionizing. Um, and just say, well, we, you know, we have this down the pipeline. Maybe we don't really need you guys as much as we thought we did. So, um, you know, at least, at least, all I can give them is I don't really trust Amazon either. But at least they're addressing the elephant in the room um, and saying, look, we know this is a concern. That's at least maybe a step in the right direction. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so often nobody, like you said, addresses the elephant in the room and just ignores it. Um, so, you know, at least now we've got them. Uh, in writing saying that they're not trying to replace the workers. So maybe down the line, you know, we can use this, uh, these statements against them in, in a lawsuit or <laughs> whatever, <laughs> right. whatever happens. I, I don't know, but they're now on the record. Right. That's true. Well, they, that is the end. Um, Brian, I'll, I'm going to give you the floor before we sign off and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah. So I just want to, again, thank everybody for stopping by for this week in Rideshare. Um, Legal Rideshare is around for any, uh, accident or injury claim that a gig worker finds themselves in. Um, it's very important to reach out to us at the get-go so that we can give you a free consultation, tell you how you can protect your rights uh, after an accident or injury. We can help you get medical treatment. We can help you recover for 
the cost of medical treatment, lost wages, pain and suffering, you name it. So uh, do not hesitate to reach out to us. Visit us at LegalRideShare.com. Consultations are always free. Awesome. Thank you, Bryant. And as I like to say, that is the end of this week in Rideshare. See you next week.